We've uh, this summer been focusing our attention on Ephesians chapter 6, especially verses 10 through 20, which, as we've seen, have to do with what the Apostle Paul calls the whole armor of God. And today we're coming to the end of that series. In two weeks, we'll begin a series through the Gospel of Mark that will carry us through the year. But today, I'd like us to read this section of Ephesians 6 one more time. But the focus will be really on verses 18 through 20, where Paul talks about prayer, the central place it occupies in the Christian life, the role that it plays. Uh, in this spiritual warfare that Paul's been talking about so vividly. So let's give our attention uh, again this week once more to this portion of God's Word, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. And again, would remind us that uh, this is not the Word of men, but the Word of God. And uh, we would do well to pay attention to it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me, and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains." that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word, and we pray that by it, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is seated at your right hand in heaven, would this morning in this place reign over us as our king and as our redeemer, that he using the spirit that has been poured out on us and through his agency that he would take this word and and drive it down deep into us. Lord, you've given your word to show us the glory of who you are, particularly in the face of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might know him and have life in his name. And so I pray that that would be the effect this morning, that uh, no one here would be indifferent or cold or hard to your word, but that each of us would be made soft and humble and teachable and receptive like children, and that we would respond gladly and humbly and submissively and readily to you and to all that you say in your word and to all that you show about yourself. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. 
Well, I want to, before we consider, again, specifically these words from verses 18 through 20 and what Paul says about prayer, I think it's wise to make sure that we're remembering the context. And each week, Hal has done that as he's worked through this passage to make sure now on this last week, as we focus finally on this passage, to be sure that we remember what we've seen in this text over the last several weeks. And I think we can do that by recognizing really three themes, three areas of concern or teaching that Paul has laid out uh, in this passage to this point. And really, the three very simply are these. One, the reality of spiritual warfare, that that is a present reality, an ordinary reality in the Christian life until Jesus comes again. Secondly, he's helped us, Paul has, has shown us, not only the reality of that struggle, but the nature of the struggle as he points us to some of the strategies of our enemy. And then finally, of course, this focus on the resources that we have in Christ to engage that enemy and to repel his attacks and to stand in the midst of his schemes. Those are the three things, really, we've been looking at over the last several weeks. The reality of the fight, the nature of the enemy's strategies and the resources that we have in Jesus to stand in the midst of all of that. And I want to impress upon us again those three things, because Paul, as he comes to verse 18, and what he says about prayer, which we'll see later, is very thoughtfully, carefully building on, making conclusions that are built on all that he said to this point. So I think they bear repeating. So first, just the reality of spiritual warfare. Paul has been saying, and we say again this morning, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have really, truly been made new in him. And if you were to read the first half of Ephesians or more, you would see over and over the apostle saying in various ways this very thing, that you really, in Christ, are new. You have been recreated, raised with Christ, called to be for the praise of God's glory, enabled to walk in newness of life. And yet, at the same time, even though you are, according to Ephesians 1, as a believer, seated with Christ in the heavenly places, you're also seated here in this room this morning in Athens, Georgia, in this world which has fallen, in a body that is still fallen, with a will that is not perfectly following after the Lord Jesus Christ, though you love him. And so there's this conflict. You have sinful flesh that's easily seduced and drawn away from God. You live in a dark and sinful world, and you have an enemy lined up against you. And so there's a struggle. And so Paul calls us in verse 13 to fight. Therefore, he says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Now, why repeat this? Thank you. Because you forget it. Because your tendency and mine each week, though you know this to be true, is as a Christian to begin to live a life that's sort of complacent, that's casual, that doesn't take seriously the context in which you have to live out your Christian identity, which is a a world in which there's a fight, there's this warfare, this struggle. And so you tend, and we tend to become unprotected and careless and weak, and we need to remember the reality of the struggle, the reality of the spiritual warfare. And Paul talks about the nature of this warfare as he points us to the strategies of our enemy, the devil. And he makes it very very plain here, and the Bible makes it very plain elsewhere, that every Christian on the face of the earth, every Christian has an enemy, the devil. And that this enemy hates 
Jesus Christ. Absolutely hates the Lord Jesus Christ. But because he cannot drag Jesus down from heaven and destroy him, he turns his fury on the people of Jesus, on Christian believers, and seeks, as Peter says, to devour you. Now that is a biblical reality that is present for everyone who calls on the name of Christ. That is a present component of your struggling in this life. That you have an enemy who is an evil, sinister, horrible creature. Who hates the triune God and who hates and opposes you. And as Paul is saying, he and his wicked associates are always turning their hatred on you as the people of God. So would, not, would we not be incredibly foolish to be naive to this? Would we not be incredibly foolish if we did not keep in mind the strategies of our enemy? But because of what God has done for us in Christ, there's more to be said than this. And so Paul has been detailing the resources that we have in Christ. He's been saying, God has not left you alone in the fight. On the one hand, do not be so naive and foolish as to think that your only struggle is with flesh and blood. No, your struggle is with powers and principalities that rule over this dark age. But don't be discouraged. Don't lose heart. Because God has not left you alone in the fight. He has fought for you. He has won salvation for you. And in Christ, he's given you this armor that you would put it on and be equipped to stand and to endure and to persevere all the way to the end in the fight. This is what Paul's been calling us to do. And he's been saying, take up the whole armor of God. Fasten around yourself the belt of truth so that more and more you're being mastered by the truth of God's word, changed by the truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness so that as accusations come, there's that guilty sinner, there's that guilty sinner who did it again, who's no good, who always fails. As those accusations come, you say, oh no, because I do not stand in God's presence on the basis of my own righteousness. But I stand in the presence of God because of the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so there's no accusation that can stand against me. And you fasten your shoes, Paul says. You, you, live, you live out of the stability and the, 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 the traction that come from knowing that through the gospel you're at peace with God. You're no longer at enmity with him. You're his friend through Jesus. And this enables you to stand and to be firm and to move And he says, take up the shield of faith because these flaming darts will come, these temptations. And as Hal said a number of weeks ago, often they fall into the categories either of trials or doubts. But as these things come, you take up the shield of faith, which you remember is this big door that's used to repel the attack. And you take up the shield of faith, remembering that all of God's promises to you are yes in Jesus Christ, that he will not fail you. That all that he's done for you is truly yours in Christ. And he says, take the helmet of salvation and put it on your head. Fill your mind with the truth that God in Christ has redeemed you. And you grow in your understanding of who God is, of all that he's done for you, so that you'll not be tossed around. You'll not be tricked and deceived and taken in. And take the sword of the Spirit, Paul says, which is God's word. Meaning you fill your mind and your heart with the truth of the scriptures 
so that you're able to answer the lies of Satan and the deceptions of Satan and the attacks of Satan with the truth of God. And you're able to use God's very word as we see Jesus doing in the wilderness to repel the enemy and to fight against temptation. This is what we've been seeing to this point. These are the resources that are yours in Christ if you are a believer. God has not left you alone. He's not left you to, his own, to your own strength. He's given you his strength so that you can, as Paul says in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And the promise throughout this passage, the promise throughout this passage is that as you put this armor on, God will cause you to stand. Not only in this life, but at the last day to stand all the way to the end and be preserved and guarded and kept all the way to the end. God will do that. So that's where we've been, and that's what we've been seeing in this text. And now Paul comes in verse 18 to this section, and really here's what he's saying. Let me now show you, let me now talk to you about how you put this armor on. Let me talk to you now about pulling all of this teaching together about the the reality of spiritual warfare, the nature of the struggle, the resources that you have in Christ. Let's pull all this together to a very sharp focal point and say, "Now, now here's how you work this out. Here's how you enter into this kind of life. And notice again what he says. Let's read it again. Look at verse 18. He says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me, and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So here is Paul talking to the church about spiritual warfare, and now as he's summing it all up, he's really focusing on prayer. And what I want us to consider this morning is this question, how does prayer relate to spiritual warfare. What is the relationship between prayer and the armor of God that Paul's been calling us as the church to take up? I think there's no indication that Paul is listing prayer as another piece of the armor. But what he seems to be doing is saying, this is really how you put all of the armor on. I thought it was helpful how one person had put it that Prayer, in Paul's view, is really the context, it's the atmosphere, it's the environment, it's the disposition of heart in which all of this armor is put on. It's to be the thing that's so characteristic of the Christian that this is how you're moving forward in the fight. Prayer, think of it this way, prayer is communion and fellowship with God. And that's where you find your spiritual strength. That's where you're nourished and equipped in communion with God, in fellowship with Him. Without this, all the armor will be of no use to you. The armor is flawless. There's no defect in the armor. But if you're trying to put on the armor without a daily, living, genuine communion with God that largely is engaged in and enjoyed through prayer, then the armor won't help you. It will be of no use to you. You must put it on with prayer, Paul is saying. Let me put it this way. It is possible for you to master conceptually all of the information that we've been working through in this text, to understand these pieces of armor, to draw them, to explain them, 
to grasp the realities that Paul is talking about. It is possible for you to understand these things and still be helpless and weak and defenseless on the field of battle. It's possible for you to have good theology, which you need to have. You need to understand all that we've been talking about. You need to believe it. You need to rehearse it over and over. But the point I'm making is you can be completely orthodox and completely defenseless and defeated by the devil and really of very little use in the kingdom of God. Now, how can that be so? By relying on yourself and relying on the armor without relying on God himself and fellowship with him through prayer. And there is a massive difference between the two. In the one way of life, you pretty much rely on yourself to figure out what all this means and to put it on and to, to, to keep trying at it. And in the other, you still, yes, must put on the armor each day and there's effort and there's, there's toil and there's struggle and there's fight, but you're doing so in the context of daily, humble, thankful communion with God. And that's why Paul... That's why what he says here in verses 18 through 20 really, I think, does help us to pull all of this together and to see how we're to keep putting the armor on so that we'll stand. And it has to happen, he's saying, through prayer. It has to happen through prayer. And actually, he gives us a picture of what this kind of prayer looks like. And it's, as far as I can tell, a twofold picture. There are two elements, there are two aspects of this, this kind of prayer that he draws our attention to. And the first you see in verse 18, and it's that this prayer must be both constant and comprehensive. Look again at verse 18. He says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I think one of the things we should notice right away is that this prayer which will enable us, with which we will put on the armor, which will enable us to stand, this prayer is happening always and is being offered to God about all kinds of things. It's constant and it's comprehensive. Notice, just from the language, he's saying, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, making supplication for all the saints, keeping alert with all perseverance, He's saying if we're going to withstand the schemes of the devil, if you're going to withstand the the fight that you're in the midst of every day, then it will be because you're putting on the whole, whole armor of God. That's what he's been saying all along. Now he's saying if you're going to put on that armor, it will be through constant prayer. And notice that the prayer to which Paul calls this is not just constant, that is at all times, on all occasions, continually, but also comprehensive. We're to pray with all prayer and supplication. In other words, you're you're praying to God about all kinds of things. You're praising Him. You're thanking Him. You're crying out to Him for help. You're confessing your sin. You're asking Him to supply your needs, and not just for yourself, but for all the saints. Your prayers are stretching across the whole spectrum of the church. Lord, my brother in Christ, my sister in Christ is struggling whether it's some great, great struggle or some small, more ordinary struggle, but you're taking those concerns and you're taking them to the Lord on behalf of your brother in Christ or your sister in Christ. Lord, help them. Lord, provide. Lord, protect. Lord, deliver. So we get this vision of prayer that's constant and comprehensive. It's always happening. It's about all things, all times, in all kinds of situations, in all circumstances, for all of God's people. 
And let's not miss Paul's point. Without this, we will not stand. I think that's inescapably what he's saying. Without this kind of prayer, we will not stand. And I think this explains why, without a doubt, some of us in this room, some of you, are just stuck. You're trapped by the devil. You're spiritually weak, defenseless. Your joy has been diminished. Your confidence in the Lord has been diminished. Your strength in the Lord has been lost. You're not very joyful. You feel just always sort of guilty and ineffective. There's no strength to resist temptation, and so on. And you may wonder why. And for some of you, it may very well be because you're not doing the very thing that the Apostle Paul calls us to do here, you're not praying. You're not engaging with your God in prayer. You may have all of these, this knowledge in your head, which is essential, but there's no communion with God. There's no enjoyment of Him. There's no fellowship with Him in prayer, no engagement between you and Him. And so if you're not praying, and I'm not talking about a distress flare in trouble. If you're not engaging with God constantly in prayer, praying, praising Him, thanking Him, confessing your sin to Him, taking your requests to Him, if that's not happening in your life, and I I think this is exactly the the logic that Paul is using here, if that's not happening in your life, then I guarantee you, you are weak right now. Now, do you understand how this works? If prayer is the way we put the armor on, and you're not praying, not in this way, then you're standing defenseless, but the battle is not stopping for you. And so there's no way you can expect to withstand the schemes of the devil. Now, if this is where you are, if this is where you find yourself, and you think, no, I'm not praying this way. No, I, I want to engage with God this way, but I haven't been, and I don't know how, and I don't know where to begin, and now I just feel worse. Then I want to encourage you with these two truths, truths which are dripping on the pages of this letter to the Ephesians. One is that we have a Father in heaven who is infinite in his love, infinite in His mercy, infinite in His wisdom, infinite in His power, limitless in all of these things toward you as His child. And that God, who is like that, is willing and able to help you, to meet you, to draw near to you, to deliver you, to provide for you, to preserve and protect you. That's what He's like to you as His child. And that ought to draw you to Him. To know that he is that kind of a father to you. And not to draw near to him is, it makes no sense, does it? It's just part of the folly of, of our sin and of our unbelief. But the second truth is not only do you have in God a heavenly father like that, but you have in the Lord Jesus Christ a merciful and faithful high priest who is able to sympathize with you in your weaknesses. Because he himself has been tempted in every way as you are, yet without sin. And so the scripture tells us, therefore, on the basis of that, he is able to deliver grace and mercy to you when you need it. 
And so on the basis of who God is as our Father, who the Lord Jesus is as a high priest, if, if you're hearing what Paul is saying about the need for constant, comprehensive prayer as the way to put on this armor and stand, and you're realizing, I've not been doing that. Maybe that's why I'm so weak. Hear this. Don't stay away. Don't delay. Go home this afternoon and get on your knees before God and say, Lord, I'm drawing near to you because you promise that you will draw near to me. Will you help me? I've not communed with you in prayer. I've not engaged with you seriously about these things. And so I've grown weak. And I've become vulnerable on the field of battle. But I want to engage with you. Will you meet me? Will you draw near? Will you help and strengthen? Do that today. Don't wait. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Well, what Paul is driving at, I think, is that the whole Christian life the whole Christian life is union and communion with God through Christ. That's what Jesus has purchased for you. That you'll be brought back to God and enjoy that communion, that fellowship with Him. And so Paul is just saying that prayer is the, one of the primary ways of doing that. So if we're, if we're living in the presence of God, then prayer will overflow as, as evidence of that as an expression of that. And so here's, here's what I would say. All of this gives us a helpful diagnostic tool. And that's this, that prayerlessness, if I detect prayerlessness in my life, it's a symptom of a deeper spiritual disease. Now, I might not pray very much because I'm busy. I might not pray very much because I'm not self-disciplined. I might not pray very much because I'm just not used to it. I might not pray very much because I'm not sure how, but underneath all of that, there's this deeper malady. That if there's prayerlessness, there's not dependence on God. If there's prayerlessness, there's not an expectant confidence in God. If there's prayerlessness, there's not a a sense of my need for His grace. And so if there's prayerlessness, it's a sign that my heart is drifting. That my life is being drawn away from the enjoyment of God. Remember what we said earlier, Satan cannot destroy Jesus and he cannot destroy the Christian. But he can seriously, seriously Assault and rob you of your enjoyment of God. And prayerlessness is an indication that that's begun to happen. Now, this is true individually for Christians, it's true collectively for churches. So that if this kind of prayer is, is not spilling from our hearts and minds continually, then, then we're not very healthy. That's true for us individually, that's also true for churches. There could be all kinds of good things going on, and and outwardly it could look very healthy and great, but but down under the surface, if if there's not a lot of prayer that's characterizing our life together as a community, then are we really healthy? Are we really stable? Will we really stand over the long haul? I think this needs to impact the way that we think about Maybe it's a prayer meeting and how we view opportunities like that. I think it needs to impact the way we think about and approach prayer in our community groups or in our homes or privately by ourselves or with our friends or here in worship or wherever it might be. That prayer is not a nice 
accessory in the Christian life. But it is the way, the context in which all of this armor is put on. And if you don't think you can, if you think you can live without this armor, you're very deceived. But if you want to live with this armor and to put it on because God has provided it for you in Christ, then the way to do that is through prayer. We simply will not stand without prayer. And I think this needs to sink, sink into us and shape us a lot more than it has. And so Paul calls the church. If we're going to put this armor on, it will be through constant prayer, comprehensive prayer, prayer that's drawn out by who our Heavenly Father is and by who the Lord Jesus is and His promise to answer and to cause us to stand. But then notice quickly, and we'll only look briefly at this, the second aspect of prayer that Paul talks about here in verses 19 and 20. Notice what he says there. Pray also for me. Pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What does he want them to pray for? In the midst of spiritual warfare, as he's calling them to constant prayer, to prayer for all kinds of things, what now does he draw their attention specifically to? Please pray for me as I preach the gospel. Two things in specific, in particular. Please pray that God would give me words as I do this. And please pray that God would give me boldness because I ought to proclaim it boldly. Now, we need to understand this, because this isn't just Paul's request of this church. It's the Holy Spirit's instruction to us. This is how we, this is how we ought to pray. The, these are things for which we should be praying regularly, earnestly. So what does Paul mean by this request for words and boldness? Why are these significant? First of all, let's appreciate the priority that, that emerges here. Paul is talking about life and death about warfare, about the devil, about temptation, about sin, about standing in the grace of God, about will we stand or will we fall. Big matters. And in that kind of conversation, with those kind of stakes, he says, here's what I want you to pray for. Here's what, put it, think of it this way, here's how I want you to be focused. A life of constant prayer. And a bold, spirit-empowered preaching of the gospel. Those are his priorities. Prayer. Lives filled with it. And a spirit-empowered, bold, clear preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think the lesson for, the, for us there at first is that those are things that you cannot live without and we cannot live without. And those two things have got to define who we are as a church and who we are as believers in Christ. Prayer and a spirit-empowered, emboldened preaching of the gospel. That is the context in which God will enable us to stand. Those need to be our, our priorities. And that's why Paul asks them to pray for these two things, words and boldness. Now, why does he ask them to pray for words, pray that words would be given to me. It's certainly not that he had a weak vocabulary. So what is it? He needs words from God. 
As he stands to preach the gospel, he needs words that come from God so that they will be words that go down deep. He needs words that will break through hearts that are hard and cold. He needs words that will pierce into minds that are darkened. He needs words that will go down deep into into people at the core of who they are and explode inside and transform them from within. He needs words that will give to people a vision of the greatness and glory of Jesus so that faith and repentance will, will, will result. He needs these kind of words. Words that will do these kind of things. And those aren't words you get from school. Those are words you get from God. Those are words that come only from the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, please pray for me that I would be given words to preach this gospel boldly. Because he wants that gospel not just to rest on top of people's heads. But he wants that gospel to go all the way down into who you are. And to grab hold of you at your core. At the level of what you love and what you what you long for and what you trust in and what you chase after and what you're afraid of and to change you completely and radically from within. And he knows that he's not up for that. And I know that I'm not up for that. And every true minister of the gospel knows that he does not have those words. And so you need to pray. You, I'm talking to you, all of you, you need to pray that God would give these kind of words to those who preach the gospel. And then he says, pray for boldness. Because he realizes that if he's going to be committed to this kind of gospel preaching that goes hard after people, he's going to have people respond to that with something less than enthusiastic support. Because there will always be people who don't like what God says to them from his word and who resist it and who resist the messenger. I was talking with a friend of mine recently who's a minister and he was sharing some of his struggles in his setting and particularly the fact that there have on occasion been certain people in the church who need to be pursued because they're not honoring Christ but there have been some in the church who have advised him, just go easy on him. He's a very influential person. Go easy on him. We need his money. Go easy on him. We need his family here. Go easy on him. If you do this, he might speak ill of the church. Does my friend, that minister, does he need boldness? Does he need boldness to answer to Jesus Christ? And not to men. And so Paul says, pray for boldness. And pray for words. And I want to ask you, and I know that some of you do this. And it is an unspeakable encouragement for your pastors to know that you're praying for us. These kind of prayers. But I am asking you, On behalf of all of us, we need you to pray like this for us. 
to pray like this for the ministry of the gospel, the ministry of God's word, as if your life depends on it. Because it does. Because this is how God will lead you and care for you. So here's a fundamental question for us this morning. Do you want the word of God, do you want the gospel to work on you like this? Do you want God to take his word and go down deep with you? Take you down and down and down and say, I have more to show you, more about me, more about your sin, more about the grace of Jesus Christ, more than you thought was there And I want you to keep coming down and I'm going to keep showing you and I'm going to keep peeling away the layers. I'm going to keep wounding you because I love you and will not leave you the same. Do you want God to do that with you? And that's an honest question because it's at that point that we begin to resist him. Well, well, not that. But if you want God to cause you to stand... If you want to live in this armor that he gives to you, if you want to live for him and for his glory, then it comes down in part to you saying, God, I know that's going to hurt, but I need, I need the surgery. I need you to cut. I need you to expose. Keep going. Because it's only if you want that for yourself, and it's only if you want that for the church, that you'll pray this way. Some kind of superficial commitment to Christianity will not result in these kind of prayers. But it's a deep commitment. In the face of, it's frightening, isn't it? To say, Lord, take your word and take it down deep into me and use it. That's frightening, is it not? Haven't you, hasn't that scared you to pray that, to know that God will, God will do things in me that I wasn't expecting, that I may not want to let go of. There's this wonderful picture from C.S. Lewis's the Silver Chair from the Chronicles of Narnia. It's Jill. Some of you know this. Jill Pole comes upon this stream, and she's dying of thirst. And there's Aslan, the lion, standing in the stream, in the middle of the stream, and she draws back. And he says... If you're thirsty, come and drink. Or do you promise not to hurt me? He says, I make no promise. Have you ever eaten little girls? She asks him. He says, I have swallowed boys and girls, men and women, kingdoms and empires. But if you're thirsty, you come and drink. And she wants to drink. She's dying of thirst, but she takes a step back and says... I guess maybe I should go find another stream. There is no other stream. He says to her, there is no other stream. If you're staying away, if you're staying away from Jesus because you're afraid of what he might do to your life, there's no other stream. There's no other life. There's no other alternate plan that you're going to like better in the end. Here's life. Here's the one who gives it. So if that's what you want for yourself, and if that's what we want as a church, this is how we we pray, this is how we put this armor on. Well, I guess the question is, will we do this? Will we commit to this? Will we follow God in this?
the world is the world is no friend of Christian pilgrims. Your flesh is weak. My flesh is weak. Our enemy, the devil, is scheming against us, but we do not fight in our own strength. God has equipped you in Christ for this fight. He's given you everything you need to stand in the midst of the battle. I think the call here is you fix your eyes on Christ. You fix your eyes on what he's provided for you. You fix your eyes on who he is. You plead with him confidently on your behalf and on on behalf of others to work this deeply down in who you are, down in who we are, to change us, to really cause us to stand. And through that constant prayer, you keep putting on the armor of God. And when you're weary, and I, I know some of you are weary, when you're weary, you remember that the day is coming when the captain of our salvation will appear. And he will stand on this earth in his victory. And on that day, you will appear with him in glory. And you'll enter into the rest that he's purchased for you. Finally and fully and completely. And as you wait for that, you remember that he is faithful. The one who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. He will cause you to stand. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and for this part of it. And we do pray that you would take it down deep into us. We would not be content with a superficial Christian existence. It's just an oxymoron. But that we would be deeply and really genuinely transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ through the power of his death and resurrection. That we would want that, that we would plead with you for it, and that through this kind of prayer for this constant prayer, this prayer for the powerful working of your gospel, that we would stand, putting on this this armor that you've provided for us. We thank you for the salvation that is that is ours, the victory is the Lord's, the battle is the Lord's, the salvation is the Lord's. It's all yours. You've freely given it. Cause us, enable us to stand in it, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.